0: The South Cliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Great to have you with us today. If you're our guest, we're honored that you would come and be with us and would encourage you to take your Bible and turn with us, if you would, to the book of Romans. We are Walking through the book of Romans together and we've been in this study for some time. Romans is in the New Testament, which is the back part of the Bible. The Bible's divided into two sections, the Old Testament, the New Testament. and so if you'll just kind of take and turn to the middle and turn right, you'll find some of those red letters that signify the words of Jesus and Matthew Mark Luke and John, and then you just keep turning to the right, you're going to find this wonderful letter that Paul writes to the church at Rome. And over the last few weeks, we have been looking together at this text and making some observations. We have come now to chapter 8 in the book of Romans. And I told you last time we were together, when we looked at the first part of Romans chapter 8, that many have declared that romans chapter 8 is perhaps the greatest chapter in the book of romans and some believe it's the greatest chapter in all the bible and i think as we walk through it you'll begin to understand why that declaration's made and perhaps you'll believe that for yourself now paul is already established in chapter 7 that the struggle that we as believers have is real. Now let me just say this to you, in case there are some of you that are here today that are not followers of Christ, you may not be a, a Christian or a believer and you're just kind of here because somebody invited you or you've turned in online and And um, the message that I share with you today is primarily addressing those who are followers of Christ, or believers. But if you're not a believer in Christ, this is a good opportunity for you to kind of look over the fence at what we're about, and listen, and you'll discover some of the struggles that we have, but you're also gonna discover the power that God makes available to us to live life in victory so it might encourage you as you listen uh, to recognize uh, that power that is available to you, too, if you place your faith and trust in Christ. So Paul's writing to the church there at Rome. And in chapter seven, he shares with us about the struggle that we have with sin. And we discovered that Paul says that struggle is real. Paul lets us see the struggle that he has. In fact, many of us identify with those words of Paul because Paul said, I just don't understand. The very thing I want to do is the very thing I end up not doing. And the thing I tell myself I'm never going to do is the very thing I find myself doing. And, And I don't understand there's this war that is raging within me. And he comes to the end of chapter seven in kind of desperation, and he says, Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, goodness. And then you know a lot of us can identify with that, can't we? Because as believers, boy, we try to live for God and and we fail, and we just feel like we too are wretched. Like I'm never gonna get this. It's never gonna be right. God's never gonna be pleased. And so Paul came to that point where he said, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this? And then his next phrase is this, thanks be to God, that Jesus Christ, he's the one that will deliver me. And we discovered that it's a person, not a plan, that will deliver us from the struggle that we have with sin and that that struggle is real. Now, what I think Paul does in chapter eight, Paul is saying, oh, wretched man that I am. The struggle is real. How do I overcome it? Well, thanks be to God that the answer is Jesus. But that still leaves a question. How does Jesus help me overcome the struggle? I know that Jesus is there to help me, but I'm still struggling in sin. I think chapter 8, Paul helps us understand how to win in the struggle that is real in our life. And he shares with us in chapter eight that the answer is the Holy Spirit. God has given to those of us who are believers the Holy Spirit. He lives in us and empowers us to live as God has called us to live. In the first seven chapters that Paul writes in this letter to Romans, he only mentions the Holy Spirit two times. But in chapter eight, he mentions the Holy Spirit 21 times in this one chapter. So his focus is now on the power of the Holy Spirit. So with that in mind, what I wanna do today and in the days ahead i want to begin to talk to you about what that life looks like that follows christ we're going to talk about living in the spirit today and paul talks about walking in the spirit what does that mean well we'll talk about what does it mean to walk in the spirit next time we're together he also talks about thinking in the spirit what, what does that mean we'll talk about what it means to think in the spirit the week after that and then paul even mentions this he talks about praying in the spirit and so we're going to talk about praying in the spirit so the next four weeks we're going to kind of camp out in romans chapter 8 to really kind of unpack what paul is teaching us about the power of the holy spirit now what paul is saying is as he introduces this is that there are this is the way i put it there are two life management systems that are in play in the world around us we're either going to live our life paul says in the flesh or in the spirit We either live our life and that's for a believer or you're going to live your life in the flesh or in the spirit. Now, let me kind of drill down a little bit and describe it for you. I believe that a better way to describe that for us to understand life in the flesh or life according to the flesh, as he uses it, really equals a self-managed life. That's living life in your own power in your own strength doing what you think is best living in the spirit equals a christ managed life living my life according to christ's leadership and the power that he makes available to us so walk according to the flesh really refers to a self-managed life walking according to the spirit talks about a Christ-managed life. I would put it further this way. Living according to the flesh. When Paul uses that term flesh, he's really referring to the self-centered, self-ruled, self-sufficient way that we live. And it is a living that is in direct opposition to the Christ-centered, Christ-ruled, Christ-sufficient life that he describes as living by the Spirit. So so the flesh is a condition, it's a mindset, it's an attitude, if you will, or a strategy that we employ to live life, and the primary focus of that strategy is on me. It's all about me, life is about me, but a Spirit controlled life or a life according to the spirit is just the opposite of that instead of a self-life it's a Christ-centered life and the strategy for living focuses on allowing God to work in and through me well that said what I want to do in our time together today is kind of lay the foundation so we're just going to kind of cover a lot of ground and i might tell you some things that you already know but i think there's important truths that we have to establish before we can move forward to truly understand and apply what paul is talking about as we move forward but we're going to talk today about what does it mean to live in the spirit and that's what paul is saying that we as believers are to do and so the question is am i living in the spirit or am i living in the flesh well What is living in the spirit mean? And then we can make a determination and answer that question together. Well, three things I wanna show you in our time together. We're gonna read through this passage of scripture together. First of all, I I think I can't talk to you about living in the spirit without talking to you about who this Holy Spirit is. What is the Holy Spirit? So we're gonna talk first about the identity of the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? Secondly, we're gonna talk about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If I, if I live in the Spirit and the Spirit lives in me, what does that mean? What does that look like? How does that happen in my life? And then the third thing we're gonna talk about is what's the impact of that? If God's Holy Spirit lives in me, Does it make a difference? And what does that difference look like? So those are the three things we're going to talk about as we look at this text together. But I'm going to read through the majority of this chapter as we pick up with verse 2 where we left off last time and we're going to go all the way down to verse 27. So let's read this together in Romans chapter 8 and then we'll come back and kind of unpack it together. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus... Has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit to the things of the spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because in the mindset on the flesh, uh, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God for it is not even able to do so For those who are in the flesh cannot please God however You are not in the flesh But in the spirit if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ He does not belong to him if Christ is in you Though the body is dead because of sin yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness but if the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised christ jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you so then brethren we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh for if we're living according to the flesh, we, uh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who suggested it in hope. That the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans, suffering the pains of childbirth, together until now. Not only this, we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope, we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, for we hope uh, for who hopes for what has what he already sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now in those 27 verses, Paul really helps us understand some truth about the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. But before we can really kind of drill down and understand that, there's some basics that we need to get out of the way. So what I want to do in our time together is to talk to you about life in the spirit, living in the spirit, by recognizing those three truths that I mentioned earlier. First of all, let's talk together about the identity of the Holy Spirit. Who is this Holy Spirit that Paul talks about? Who is this Holy Spirit that we hear about? Who is this Holy Spirit that lives in us and works through us and gives us power? Now, I have to be honest with you, perhaps no topic of discussion in church life brings greater controversy and confusion than talking about the Holy Spirit, right? Oh my goodness, we have heard and seen it all when it comes to that subject. In fact, this is what I've discovered in my life and ministry. I I believe there are two dangerous extremes that we have a tendency to, to follow after. One extreme with regard to the Holy Spirit is to be obsessed and consumed by the sensational and the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And there are some people that their whole world revolves around the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes our Pentecostal brothers and sisters kind of have a tendency to fall into that category where they'll put so much emphasis on that area of our walk with God and it's important nonetheless but we have a tendency sometimes to to spend all of our time there and so we begin to talk about the sensational parts of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues and what does that mean and what does that look like and being slain in the Spirit you've seen some of those things or I've seen recently on YouTube videos of people who are dancing in the Spirit in the church and people that handle snakes in the church and all kind of weird stuff that we have a tendency to look at that overemphasizes the sensational part of the Holy Spirit to the exclusion sometime of what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit but there's another danger and that's the danger that I think we have a tendency to fall into Most of us are not so much enamored by the sensational. In fact, we're a little bit concerned about those kinds of things and weary of those kinds of things and afraid of those kinds of things. And and we question those kinds of things. And the other extreme, and this is the extreme that I grew up in in a Baptist church, is we never talked about the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit was almost like taboo. It was like, we don't want to be associated with all those charismatic people over there that raise their hand and do all kinds of crazy stuff. We don't want to be associated with them. And so as a result of that, we never talk about the Holy Spirit. And both extremes are extremely dangerous. Because the Bible gives us information right down the middle about who the Holy Spirit is, how he works, and the power of the Holy Spirit. So, with that in mind, let's just look at what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit. If we're just going to walk through the text, I've just kind of walked through and recognized some of the truths that I've discovered with regard to the Holy Spirit. And this is what I've discovered. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not an influence or some impersonal power in our life. The Holy Spirit is a person. In fact, the Bible describes him as the third person of the Trinity. Though the word Trinity does not occur in the Bible. The concept of the Trinity occurs all over the Bible. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was baptized, we find all three of those present at the moment. Jesus was baptized, God the Father speaks, and the Holy Spirit descends as a dove and rests upon Christ. You'll see all three of those in that moment. So the scriptures speak of the Holy Spirit as the third member of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Which means that he is equal to the Father and equal to the Son. When we look at the scripture, the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit is fully God. The Holy Spirit is eternal. He has always been with God from the very beginning. If you go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible when God created the world, and there's a verse of Scripture when God created man. The Scripture says this. God says, let us create man in our own image. And it uses a plural form. You recognize the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit present all the way back at the beginning of time. We see the presence of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. We see the presence of Jesus in the old testament that fourth member of the fire remember when shadrach meshach and abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace and and the old king says i see a fourth man didn't we just throw three in there i see four in there and the and the fourth is likened to the son of god so he is eternal in nature the holy spirit is omnipresent that means the holy spirit is everywhere the holy spirit is present with us And the Bible says, where two or more are gathered together in his name, there will I be in their midst. That means every church that is meeting on the face of the earth right now or today, that is gathered in the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit's there. He's with us, and he's with them. He's in my life, and he's in your life. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He is also omniscient. He knows all things because he is God, he knows all things. You can't hide anything from the Holy Spirit. He knows our heart, he knows our thoughts, he knows our mind, he knows us better than we know ourselves. He is omniscient, but he's also omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. The Holy Spirit is God. So the power of God is in the Holy Spirit. He he is never referred to as an it in scripture. He is always referred to with the pronoun he. And you know what the Bible tells us a little bit about him. It says there's a personal nature to the Holy Spirit. He can be grieved. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. He longs for us to live a life that glorifies God. And when we fail, it grieves the Holy Spirit. He can also uh, be quenched when the Holy Spirit wants to do a work in our life, we can shut that work down. We have the ability to say no to God's work in our heart and life. We discover as we read through the Bible that the Holy Spirit can be lied to. Sometimes we lie to him and pretend something. When God's Holy Spirit knows better, he can be lied to. He can also be blasphemed. The only sin in the Bible that God will not forgive is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit simply means this. It is, as we'll discover in a moment, the job of the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the person of Jesus. You never come to know faith in Christ apart from the Holy Spirit. He reveals to you the truth that Jesus is God. He came to earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose again. You can have eternal life. God's Holy Spirit reveals that to you. And if you say no to that, God gives every person an opportunity to say yes or no to that. God will confront you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Your life is on a course that will intersect at some point the person of the Holy Spirit. It may be today. And you're going to intersect the person of the Holy Spirit. He's going to say this truth about the word of God. God is come in the person of Jesus and offers you eternal life. And if you say no, there's gonna come a time when God's gonna say, okay, I'll accept your no. And you saying no is like calling the Holy Spirit a liar. And you're saying, I do not believe your testimony of the Son of God. And you know what Jesus said? That's the only thing God won't forgive. When you reject the Holy Spirit revealing Jesus as the Son of God, you make that decision. The only reason a person goes to hell is because they have rejected Christ, so he can be blasphemed. The, the, the result of that understanding that he is a person. Well, let me just talk to you about some of the things he does, and, and then we'll come back to that in in conclusion. Uh, some of the things that he does, according to the Scripture, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Whenever we do something and we know it, it's like, oh man, that's the Holy Spirit. He brings to our mind, oh whoa, wait a minute, I shouldn't have done that. And so that sense of recognizing my sin, that is the Holy Spirit who convicts us. He is the one who regenerates us. Did you know it's the Holy Spirit that leads you to know Jesus and know that you're lost and and you're a sinner separated from God and to understand that you need to be saved? The reason you know that's because the Holy Spirit reveals that to you. I was nine years old. I mean, what does a nine-year-old know? But nine years old, all of a sudden, everything I'd learned in the Bible, in Bible school and in, in my home growing up and in church, suddenly, when I was nine years old, made sense to me. Why? Because the Holy Spirit took all those words and suddenly opened my mind to say, you know what, Carol? You're a sinner, separated from God. You're not gonna go to heaven because your mom and dad Are Christians, you're not going to heaven because your brother's a Christian. You have never accepted Jesus as your Savior. You have never turned from your sin. You have never repented of your sin. And suddenly at nine years old, I knew that. God's Holy Spirit brought it to my mind. And guess what? Not only did he bring it to my mind, he led me into a relationship with God. I had a desire to know him. And it was the Holy Spirit that leads us into that. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit comforts us. But when we have a loss in our life, it's the Holy Spirit who shores us up and holds us and keeps us in those moments. He walks so closely with us. The Bible says he sanctifies us. What that means is the Holy Spirit's at work in your life to try to make you like Jesus. He wants you to look just like Jesus. And so he's going to work in every circumstance and situation in your life to bring you to look like Jesus and to act like Jesus in your life. The Holy Spirit calls us. He testifies that we are Christian. He intercedes for us. He empowers us to do what God called us to do. So that's what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. Now that's just a thumbnail sketch. There's a bunch there, but I've just given you an understanding. That's the identity of the Holy Spirit. But the second thing that we notice in the text before us, Paul says that the Holy Spirit lives in us what does that mean he indwells us well the Bible says that he lives in the life of every believer in fact in verse 9 of the passage that we just got through reading that's what defines whether or not we're a Christian how do I even know that I'm a Christian well what Paul says is this because the Holy Spirit lives in you and if the Holy Spirit doesn't live in you guess what you're not a Christian Because every Christian, every believer, follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in them. So the Holy Spirit indwells. He enters our life when we receive Jesus as Savior. When I was nine years old and I recognized that I'm a sinner and and I understood that. And I went, it was at night, I was laying in the bed and I was thinking through that. And and I got up and I, I, I went to my dad and mom's bedroom, knocked on the door. And, and I walked in and, and, and I told dad, I said, dad, I, just, I, I know that I've never asked Jesus to forgive me of my sin and come into my life. And I need to accept him as my savior. And I remember my dad slipped off his bed onto his knee and he prayed with me right there. And at the moment I prayed and asked Jesus to forgive me and come into my life, guess what? The Holy Spirit came in. It's the Holy Spirit who comes into my life and I received at that moment the Holy Spirit. And he was the one that brought me to the place where I understood I needed him. And he was the one when I accepted Jesus as my Savior. He's the one that comes to live in me. And if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, God's Holy Spirit lives in you. Now, I need to also say this. I'll explain it maybe a little bit more. We talked about the fact that it is a he, not an it. When the Holy Spirit comes to live in me, it's not part of him that comes in to live in me. It's all of him that comes to live in me. I don't get a part of the Holy Spirit. I get all of him. There are some people that think, you well, you get the Holy Spirit later. You come to know Jesus as your Savior, and you receive the Spirit later. The Bible says, when I accept Jesus, God's Holy Spirit comes to live in me, and I don't get a piece of him. I get all of him. The, the real question is not whether or not I receive Jesus. It, the real question is how much of him, how much of me does he get? We'll talk about that when we talk about walking in the Spirit. But he lives in us. So what is it that he does in me? Well, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit purifies us. He he brings us to a complete dependence upon God. What that means is the Holy Spirit moves into your life and immediately begins to work to bring you to the place where you acknowledge you need him every day. The Holy Spirit will work in the circumstances and the challenges and the situation that we He will allow us to come to the end of ourselves. Sometimes he leads us to the end of ourselves so that we will acknowledge, you know what? I can't do this on my own. I need you, God. And the Holy Spirit smiles and says, that's what I've been trying to teach you. Yes, you need God. And God's strength is available to you. He supplies all of the power we need to do what God's called us to do. Do you know that everything God asks you to do, he gives you the power to do it? For example, all of us know, just here's a simple example that, that, that fits. All of us know that God has called every one of us to share our faith with other people. But most of us in the room are terrified when it comes to doing that. I just don't, I don't do that. I know I should and I feel bad about it and I'm terrified. And the, and the reason I'm terrified is because I just don't know if I can do that. I want to tell you something. God's Holy Spirit enables you to do everything God calls you to do. God never asks of anything of you that he doesn't give you the ability to do it. This is what I've discovered. When you finally say, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. I'm going to engage a person in a spiritual conversation. At that moment, God's Holy Spirit will give you words, thoughts, answers to questions, Sometimes you will have somebody ask you a question and you'll know the answer to it And you don't know why you know the answer to it. It's because the Holy Spirit Gives us the resources we need to do what God has called us to do. He instructs us He's the one that helps us understand the Word of God. He's the one who empowers us He's the one who fills us with joy and strength Salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit But he also comes to live within us at that moment. Some refer to that as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the scriptures talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. The baptism of the Holy Spirit happens when you accept Jesus as your Savior. For me, it was nine years old. It doesn't happen later. It's not a second blessing. You don't get get Jesus and get the Holy Spirit later. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you get Jesus. When you get Jesus, you get God. When you get God, you get the Holy Spirit. You don't get the Holy Spirit later on down the road. Now, there there are some things we're going to discover about yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit comes to live in us when we're saved, and he seals us. And if we yield to him, he enables us to live as God directs. Well, the final thing that I want to give you is this. So what's the impact of the Holy Spirit? So, okay, he dwells in me, he lives in me. That's what the Bible says about him. Here's the so what. Let me tell you what the Holy Spirit does in us. He transforms our life from the inside out. It is impossible for you to accept Jesus as your Savior and the Holy Spirit to come live in you and you not change. He changes us from the inside out. Let's just look at what it says in the text. He frees us from sin and death. He systematically removes sin. That's what he says in verse 2. Before we accepted Jesus, we didn't have power over sin. We just did whatever the flesh demands. And we were like, Paul, oh, wretched man that I am once the, the holy spirit comes to live in me guess what he gives me the power to say no to sin we've talked about that paul has made it made it clear that we we were saved from the penalty of sin which is death but he also saved us from the power of sin so we can say no we don't have to yield our life we don't have to go down that road of addiction god gives us the ability to overcome in verse four it says he leads us to live righteously He takes our sin out and he replaces it with righteousness. He fulfills the demands of the law. God begins to accomplish his purpose in us because the Holy Spirit lives in us. In verse 5, he says he transforms our thinking. He makes us spiritually minded. You know what I've discovered? Most of the battles we have in our Christian life are in our mind. And the Holy Spirit comes to transform our mind. He gives us a worldview and an attitude that enables us to make decisions that are based on the principles of God's word. The Holy Spirit transforms the way we live and act. Leading us away from selfish passions. In verse 13, it says that we put to death the deeds of the body deeds of the body literally refers to things which were things with which we were once occupied that self-centered life that revolves around me greed materialism all of the addictions that come with that he somehow gives me the ability to overcome he says in verse 14 that he, that he transforms us into a self, from a self-directed life to a spirit-directed life. The, son of God, uh, the sons of God are led by the spirit of God, he says. So in decisions and directions that I need to make in life, somehow now I go to God first rather than depending upon myself. The Holy Spirit produces in us spiritual fruit in our lives, visible expressions of our walk. He says in verse 23, the first fruits, the first fruits of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All of those things that are characteristic of Jesus, God's Holy Spirit begins to produce in us as he changes us from the inside out. Life in the Spirit is about a life of transformation. It's about being a new person. It's impossible to remain the same. For some people, it's an immediate change. For others, it's a process as we begin to walk with the Lord and see him work through our lives to accomplish that change. But he transforms us. Life in the Spirit is a life of sufficiency. It's a life that enables us to be content. And if you've come to a place in your life where you're never content, you're never happy, you're never satisfied, it's a sign that you're living or according to the flesh selfishly rather than according to the spirit because the spirit brings us to a place of sufficiency where our self effort that leads to failure is not there anymore and he becomes the source of our strength and power. The Holy Spirit transforms our life and gives us security so that we don't have to worry. That's the difference that you see at a funeral for a Christian and a non-Christian, is we've got security. Even when we lose someone we love, we grieve. But Paul says we grieve differently, not like those without hope. Because we have a security. I know I'm going to see him again. I know that I'm going to heaven. I know that when I draw my last breath, okay, I'm going to be with him. He mentions that when he says that security comes as we are the children of God. He uses the word adoption. That literally means to be placed in the family as an adult son. We are born into the kingdom through faith in Jesus, but we're also adopted so he just places us in the family as an adult son so that we already know how to walk and talk and we just walk in his power and talk as he directs, accessing his power. Intimacy is what he's giving at. Well, with that in mind, let me go back to the first question. Are you living in the spirit or are you living according to the flesh For many of us as Christians the struggles real and the reason we're struggling is because we're living in the flesh and Paul said Oh Wretched man that I am in this struggle. I keep losing But wait a minute Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord He's given us the Holy Spirit. We don't have to live that way we can walk in the power of his grace. And so as a believer here today, the opportunity is for us to confess and repent and return and say, God, we've just chosen to accept you as our savior, but we're still following the commands of our old master. And I want to say no to that. And I want to return to you, or maybe as an unbeliever today, that transformed life is what you're looking for and you've not found it and you'll not find it apart from faith in jesus and so one of those two decisions need to be made this morning as god leads let's pray together father i thank you for the message you've given us today the opportunity to respond to its truth and and i thank you father that all over this room that assessment has been made and we know if we're walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh. And for those of us that have a tendency to fall right back into that old flesh, I pray that you'd give us the ability today to say, God, we confess that to you as sin and ask you to forgive us, restore us, reestablish us, fill us again with your Holy Spirit. Let us walk in the power that you provide. And for those that have never accepted you, may today be the day that they receive you as Savior. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. From everyone at Southcliffe Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to Southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliffe.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the gift button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.